0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs.
1: And I also want to correct my earlier mistake while we're living in the bottom of the keg right now. It's Country Kitchens who always uh, service us with an excellent meal and service and a compliment to them because it doesn't matter whether 20 people show up or a crowd like this. I don't know how they do it, but they just managed to work with us and uh, we've been very pleased with their uh, service. <laughs> to get on <laughs> I'm delighted today to uh, that our program committee has uh, been able to bring Daniel Smith here today, the leader of the opposition. She became leader of the Wild Rose in October of 2009 and was elected leader of the opposition in April of 2012. She, in that short period of time, managed to gather 30% of the, 4% of the votes in Alberta and uh, 17 seats for the Wild Rose party. And as many of you know, had there not been some events that last week, we might have the premier of the province speaking us today. She has a B.A. from the University of Calgary in English and Economics. She has a wide career in media. She has been an editor and writer and columnist for the Calgary Herald, a trustee for the Calgary School Board. She worked with uh, TV Global on the Sunday program. She has been a director of the Alberta Property Rights Initiative and the Canadian Property Rights Institute. She is currently a member of the Services and Standing Committee on Alberta Economics uh, Economic Future, and she is the official leader of the opposition. So it gives me great pleasure on your behalf to welcome Daniel Smith, uh, despite her busy schedule, to come and speak to us today. Welcome Daniel. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for that introduction, and I'm just delighted to be back at SACFA. I think we figured this was my third time here, maybe my fourth time here. So even though you guys are going to level tough questions at me, do know I must be a glutton for punishment, because I keep on coming back. And I am looking forward to those questions to find out what it is that's on your mind. You're actually inundated with wild roses in your community today. I was just down here earlier this morning with Bruce McAllister, our education critic, And he's been meeting with school boards and university boards across the the province, trying to figure out what kind of impact the recent budget turmoil is going to have in their communities. I was with him over at the the Lethbridge Public School Board this morning. He's going on to Lethbridge College. We also, of course, have Jared Bickman here, who is the candidate and MLA for uh, Carson Tabor Warner. He's also... Our critic for uh, uh, employment and immigration, and so and enterprise as well. So we've just made that new change. He's a, an absolute. He has an absolute passion for regulatory reform. So if you've got any issues that you want to raise with him about that, I know he would be delighted to talk to you. here. why don't give a wave? I'm sure everybody knows who you are, but just in case. And we also have Paul Hinman here. And you may know that Paul Hinman was the leader of our party. But uh, before I, I came in in 2009, he's now uh, my senior advisor, helping me learn the ropes in the legislature. We've got an awful lot of work that we need to do as the official opposition. And if you have any questions that you want to raise with him, I'm sure some of you will recognize his face. I, I I'm pretty sure you spoke here at some point in the past as well. Why don't you give a quick wave so that everybody knows and they can come and talk to you
1: at the end. So.
0: Now, I love the topic that I was given to speak about today. It's called, uh, in majority governments, can the official opposition, what can the official opposition do to affect legislation? So the first question is, can the official opposition affect legislation? My short answer to that is yes, and I'll tell you why. I also then want to just go into a little bit about how I see the four roles of the official opposition. We can have a conversation about that. And then at the end, I want to talk about some of the reforms that a Wild Rose government would make to be able to improve the functioning of our legislature and also improve democracy in Alberta. But first, let me start off why I say that yes, absolutely, the official opposition can have an impact on legislation and also the, the broader policy direction of government. And, and we saw this before we even became the official opposition. We had four MLAs, including Paul at the time, who was putting pressure on the government day in, day out, and we already managed to have some significant successes. As you may know, many of the, uh, of the MLAs who got elected with us were from rural ridings, or mixed rural urban ridings like mine in Highwood. And a lot of the issues that we were dealing with had to do with some three bad pieces of legislation that had come through in the the Stelmac era. One was the Land Assembly Project Areas Act, which essentially stripped away many of the heads of compensation for our landowners and froze their land in green zones for the purpose of of establishing utility corridors. Another was the Land Stewardship Act, the first version of this act, when it came through, would have allowed the government to actually cancel freehold lands without compensation or recourse to the courts. The, th- the third bad bill was Bill 50, which was the Electric Statutes Amendment Act. This is the, You've probably heard a little bit about it. People are concerned about the cost of their electricity bills. This allows the government to make decisions about whether or not we need power lines. So when I look at these three bills, this is where we had an immense impact. Before this past election, our Wild Rose MLAs put such pressure on the government, they actually came back and rewrote that Land Assembly Project Areas Act to broaden the terms of compensation, corrected that problem. The Land Stewardship Act also came back for revision. So it's actually got a narrower scope of what the government can do in cancelling leases without compensation or due process. So I think we had a small victory there. And of course, in this latest legislative session, we won a, a big victory where the government recognized that it doesn't make sense for cabinet to make decisions about significant billion dollar transmission line projects and they returned that power to the utility, the Alberta Utilities uh, Commission. So those are three areas where we already had immense impact as an official opposition, working with advocacy groups, local landowners, to put pressure on the government and it succeeded. The, and I'll talk about another one. Uh, as well, because it, it does... I'll, I'll talk about it in my next section, because it's related to a news story that was released today about the uh, the Elections Act. But another one where we had huge impact is the issue of the Education Act. It came forward in the spring session, and it would have stripped away the rights of of uh, Catholic school boards to be able to maintain autonomous school boards. That's what they feared, that they were uh, going to be forced to There were also a number of homeschool families, and parents generally, who felt that it took away their right to be the principal decider of the kind of education that they wanted for their kids. And I remember standing on the steps of the legislature with our critic at the time, Rob Anderson, with over 2,000 families and their children who came to the legislature to tell Thomas O'Cassie, the education minister at the time, exactly what they thought of that bill. They pulled the bill, went through an election, it came back in this fall session with those two offending clauses, modified or removed, and they were able to put through an education act that I think is going to serve, generally speaking, serve the interests of our local school boards very well. That would not have happened without having an official opposition working with advocacy groups to press the government to go in the right direction. So absolutely, I believe opposition parties can have an impact. So now that we are official opposition, let me tell you the the four jobs that I think that we have. Because I I recognize that when we do things in the legislature, not all of it filters down through the media to the, to the to the voters. And that's just the nature of the media. I was in the media for a long time. They, they can't cover everything that we do in the legislature. There's a limited amount of space in the newspapers, a limited amount of time on TV. And so they cover what is the most exciting and relevant story of the day. So let me give you a broader context of the things that we've been doing in the legislature. And the reason I say this is I know that there is a level of concern about the tone in the legislature. There is a level of concern that has become a little combative and a little bit scrappy. So let me tell you a little bit about my perspective about how we are trying to change the tone of the legislature and how we are approaching the job of being an official opposition. The first job of an official opposition is to expose the behavior of government. And I think we have done a tremendous job in this regard. We have now a team of staff members in the legislature who know how to do freedom of information requests. They have contacts within the administration who are able to tell us some of the things that that they know are going on. This is the, the entire reason why there's been such a demand for whistleblower legislation. We know that there are things that are going on in the administration, in government, with the politicians that have been in power for 42 years, and yet our civil servants are terrified of coming forward and talking about it because they might lose their job, or they might find that they have... Uh, they're not able to get promoted, or they might, in some way, be retaliated against. So we feel it is part of our job to bring forward some of the things that we are hearing about. So a couple of the ways in which we did this in the last session was exposing the circumstances around which the ten or the forty billion dollar tobacco litigation contract was awarded. That wasn't well known before the election. That Ms. Redford, a Justice Minister, had a clear hand in choosing the company that won, a company that was populated by her former husband and close political friends and associates. We brought forward this information. I think Ms. Redford's uh, reaction to it was entirely disingenuous, to try to pretend she had nothing to do with it when we had signed documents. And as a result, we put it forward, to the ethics commissioner, and the ethics commissioner announced that he would indeed be doing an investigation. I've sent him a letter with our evidence, and this to me is a vitally important issue. We have a provision in our conflict of interest act that you cannot make decisions directly that are going to impact your friends and close associates. So the fact that it's her ex-husband is only one aspect of it. It's her friend and close associates who are at this firm who are being who are going to be benefit, who are going to benefit from the litigation. I will wait to see the ethics commissioner do his job on that, but I think this is something that is important for Albertans to know. We need to know that our premier is setting the right tone. We need to know that our premier knows where the line is on the ethics laws that have been passed and the conflict of interest laws that have been passed. That's one. The second, of course, is the donation from a very wealthy businessman in Edmonton who happens to own an NHL hockey team. We heard in the In the media, that there was an alleged $430,000 single donation, and that the the tax receipts just ended up getting cut off after the fact between friends and and, uh, family and political associates. This is against the law. This is a violation of the Elections Act. And so we had our team doing research to be able to provide additional resources to the chief electoral officer so that they would be able to do an investigation. And sure enough, they are. They they indicated to us in the last couple of weeks that they have looked at this as such a serious issue that they have appointed independent lawyers and a judge to, to go through and look at the evidence and come to a conclusion. And we're going to wait for the chief electoral officer to do their work. But we believe it's our job as the official opposition to provide the evidence to the public bodies that are overseeing the actions of government because we need to know that the people in charge are going to follow their own laws. And we'll continue to do that. And then, of course, the issue of the illegal donations, and I was talking to the media about this beforehand. This, I think, is another example of how the Wild dose has been so effective. The very first story that came out about an illegal donation was done by a, a reporter named Charles Rosnell for the CBC, and it was in a, in a community called St. Paul up north. And we looked at that and we said, gee, if this is happening there, I wonder where else is it it's happening? So we started doing our own investigation, and we uncovered case after case after case where school boards, universities, municipalities, and other corporations that are not committed under the law to contribute to political part- parties had been doing it for years. The government even tried to clarify the law, or the chief electoral officer tried to clarify the law in 2005, sent out a letter saying you can't, if you're receiving public tax dollars, you can't then funnel a portion of that back to a political party. And they kept on doing it. Ultimately there were almost a 100 investigations that the elections officer ended up investigating. And then we found out that because of the law that the PCs had put in place, they weren't able to issue the results of any of their investigations. And our team put so much pressure on them in the spring session that they announced that they would be coming forward with revisions. The revisions were made in the legislation in the fall, and today we see that there are $20,000 worth of donations just in the last couple of years that the PC party is now required to pay back to the municipalities and the school boards and others that had contributed to them in the first place. And this is important. Tax dollars are not precious. We certainly cannot see our tax dollars being funneled back to a political party, and we certainly can't tolerate a culture where individuals who are at those public bodies, performing a public service, feel bullied and intimidated to support the governing party, otherwise they might not get their grants, or they might be retaliated against. This is a vital victory, I think, for Albertans, and I'm glad that our Wild Rose opposition was able to play a part in it. So that's one job of the official opposition is to expose. The other part is to propose. We can't just be uh, a, uh, individuals and politicians who only complain. And this, I believe that we have taken this role seriously in a way uh, that no other political party in the province has. And we started doing this early on Even before we we became official opposition, we produced our policy green book. We took our member pass policy, we developed 15 different policy areas, 350 different bullet points. We released those one at a time and put it online so that everybody knew that if they elected a wild rose government, what you would get in our first term of office. We've also done our alternative budget for three years in a row, showing how we would get to a balanced budget without raising taxes, without going into debt. And we'll continue to do that as well. But beyond that, in the legislature, it is our job to propose positive amendments to improve bills. And this may not be well reported, because again, you only hear about the where we're disagreeing with the government for the most part. But there were seven out of the 10 bills that were put forward in the legislature that we voted in favor of, that we agreed with. And that shouldn't be all that surprising, because a lot of us, who are now in the wild Rose started off as progressive conservatives, so there, you'd expect that there'd be a little bit of overlap in how we think the province ought to be governed, but in those areas where we think that they got it wrong, it's our job as the opposition to propose positive amendments. We proposed four, 50 amendments. We also thought that the Liberals and the NDs put forward such good amendments, we've supported 43 of their amendments as well. But the Progressive Conservatives voted down virtually every single one of them. So I believe that the opposition parties are doing our job. When we went back and looked at who carried the debate on all of these bills, 60% of the debate, 56 hours, was done by the Wildrose official opposition. And we're going to continue to make sure when bills come forward that we propose positive changes to make the bills better. And if we can't make it better, well, then our third job is to oppose. There were three bills that we were opposed to in this legislative session. One of them, of course, was uh, Bill 2, which is the bill that will create a new energy regulator. We feel they're making the same mistakes with this bill of taking away landowner rights, of taking away rights of appeal on very important issues regarding access as well as the environment. And we tried to make some provisions that that would have uh, corrected that. They voted them down. So we'll see whether or not that is another bill that has to come back for revision. That's what I predicted in my final speech. The Whistleblower Protection Act, we I, we support the idea of whistleblower protection. For for the reasons that I said up to this point, we believe that the public service needs to be protected if they identify wrongdoing and they want to come forward with it. But the, the bill they put in place does the exact opposite. It actually creates a very structured bureaucratic process where you kind of have to go to your boss before you can go to the ombudsman if you want to blow the whistle on anything. That's designed to keep everything internal. It's not designed to shine the light on anything. And I think it will actually expose our public servants to more danger of retaliation. So I don't think we're actually going to see much will come out of that. But we want to be able... That's the reason why we oppose that bill. And it's the reason why Heather Forsyth will be coming forward with her own private member's bill that will aim to correct some of the mistakes that they made in this one. And then the last one, the uh, Elections Financing Act the change to the election law, one of which allowed them to, uh, the, the chief electoral officer, to pres- to reveal the results of his investigations. We voted against this. The majority of us did. It was against split vote. We'll get to that in a second. If we voted against this, the majority of our members, because we felt it didn't go far enough. It didn't address the issue of the single $430,000 donation from a single donor. It didn't address the issue of going back and allowing the chief electoral officer to expose all of the instances of illegal donations going back to 2004. It was too limited. And there were a couple of other problems with it. It didn't ban corporate union donations, which is what we want to do. We think the the way you actually fix the democratic system is you take the influence of big money out of it, whether it's from unions or whether it's from corporations. They didn't deal with that. They didn't limit the amount of donations. We wanted to see the limitation on how much you can contribute brought down from $15,000 down to $5,000 during a non-election year. And brought down from $30,000 during an election to $10,000 in uh, in an election year. Because we think that no reasonable person would think that a person's vote in the legislature might change if they're getting a $5,000 donation. But if you're getting multiple $30,000 donations getting a $430,000 check from a single guy who wants to get an arena built in Edmonton. It doesn't quite pass the smell test. So those are the reasons why we ended up opposing that bill, although we are very happy that they made that one, one provision. The last job of the official opposition is to depose, meaning give a deposition. Now, in the United States system, they have these congressional hearings. I think we saw it in the last couple of weeks where Hillary Clinton had to come forward and talk about what she knew of oh, the Benghazi affair. That is the process that they use in the US. In Canada, in the parliamentary system, we've got question period. And we use question period every single day to hold government, premier, ministers to account on the decisions that they've made. Now again, I know that there has been, been a little rough and tumble in the legislature in the fall session. But what you don't see is that we did ask 196 questions. 33 of them. Yes, indeed. We're about the scandals of the day, the ethical lapses, and some of those concerns. But we asked 31 questions on health care. We asked almost as many on transportation and infrastructure issues. We asked questions on finance. I asked a question on finance every single day, because I knew that these guys weren't coming clean with how uh, disastrous our, our budget situation is. In turn, we found out, of course, after the session closed that that was exactly the case. So we are going to continue to ask a whole range of questions. The nice part about being an official opposition with 17 members is that every single one of our MLAs has a meaningful critic portfolio, is able to really dig in. I mean, if you talk to Paul Hidman when he was there alone, trying to oversee 20 different ministries, or even when he only had, uh, he was one of a caucus of four, they each had to take on four or five portfolios. We have an incredible amount of talent now on our front benches or on our uh, our benches, and we're going to be able to to hold the government to account in every single portfolio area. We're also going to be able to hold them to account through this new process of going through the, the budget. Every single official opposition critic gets one hour to question their minister, uninterrupted, on what's going on in their department. So we're excited about this. This is the first time I've been through this process, the first time most of my MLA's have been through this process. And we really hope that we're going to get some some good answers and some good debate through that. And you'll see that happen in, the, in the March and April. So let me just get to the last. So the, to summarize, then, I look at our job as being fourfold. We expose, we propose, we propose, and we depose. And those are the, I think, if we, if we get the right balance on those, I think you're going to see that we'll continue to be an effective official opposition. The last area that I'll discuss, and I realize I only have five minutes to do so, so I will be quick okay, so'll we'll be slow. Okay. <laughs> one of the things you'll notice that is different about the wild Rose is that we take seriously the, the the task that we've each been given to represent the views of our constituents in the legislature. I've told each one of my MLAs that it's hard to be a wild rose MLA because to be a wild rose MLA, you have to read bills. And keep in mind in the fall session, they ended up dumping about seven hundred pages of legislation on us, but we read the bills. We have to identify amendments. The critic has to take the lead on being the principal speaker, working on the amendments, getting his colleagues up to speed on what he has recommended or her recommended position is on the issue, debating it through, and doing the media around it. So every single one of our MLAs has to do that. And then at the end we also have free votes. Now, most of the time our MLAs agree. And that shouldn't surprise you because we all share a common set of values, but some of the times we don't agree, and they vote differently. And I'll give an example on when when the bill came forward to deal with the automatic coverage for uh, individuals suffering from post traumatic stress disorder who were first responders. The NDP thought that there were a couple that were missing, and they proposed that they added corrections officers. And our caucus. Um, voted in favor of that NDP proposal. They also proposed that social workers should be added. And there were good arguments for for and against. And as it turned out, one of our MLAs was persuaded by the argument and voted in in favor of that. And the world didn't come to an end because we disagreed, because because one of our MLAs voted with an, an NDP amendment. I think that this is actually a demonstration of how politics at the provincial level can work and should work. We see this all the time at the municipal level. It doesn't even occur to us to have partisan politics at the municipal level. You see moving coalitions on every single council. But generally speaking, you will find with our our political party, because we agree with a certain set of principles, we come in with an attitude where we want to try to find areas of consensus. But if we can't, and somebody feels very strongly about it, they are able to vote with their conscience, and I think that's exactly how it should be. So it does put an extra challenge on a Wilder's MLA, because they do have to be consulting with their constituents, they do have to read the bill, and they do have to be able to make the debate in favor of their point, not only in caucus, but also in the broader legislature. The other thing that I've been disappointed to see, and I wish we had seen this, Ms. Redford, in a letter to the Calgary Herald when she was running for the PC leadership, said that what she wanted to do, she became leader, is she recognized that the process for passing legislation is too rushed. We had one example with the energy bill, which we ended up opposing. It was introduced in, in one on one day. We had to start debating it, I think about 48 hours later. We were halfway through all of the amendments that we had to make, within about a week and a half. And then we had a constituency break, which was our first opportunity to go and talk to stakeholders about what they thought about this bill. That makes no sense. This is the reason why sloppy, bad legislation gets passed, is because it's thrown at you, you have no time to read it, no time to consult, no time to consider it, You're you're, you're rushed trying to put forward amendments, our poor parliamentary assistants were overworked and overrun trying to do this. There's only, I think, two of them. And we were having night sessions going to all hours of the morning. This is not a healthy way for us to be governing the province. It's not a healthy way for us to pass legislation, and Ms. Redford said that if she got elected, she would have more time between these different readings of the bills. We haven't seen any of that change. I think that's unfortunate. I think that's one thing that I wish she would live up to, uh, among others. The other thing that we proposed, and I've, I've written two letters to Ms. Redford asking for a meeting. I meet mean, regularly with Rush Urban and Brian Mason, both formally as well as informally, but uh, I've had my two meeting requests turned down. By, uh, by the premier, but one of the letters I wrote to her uh, asked if we could consider having opposition days. Opposition days is where we as a caucus can put forward legislation that we think needs to pass. It would give Albertans an understanding, if they voted for wild rose Government, of the kind of bills that we would bring forward. This happens in other legislatures, happens in Ontario, happens in Manitoba, but then a day a week where a certain allocated number of hours are, sent, are are dedicated to the opposition caucus to bring forward legislation. It's split up relatively fairly between the parties that have more seats versus the parties that have fewer seats. It's not a new concept. It's not offside with parliamentary tradition or democracy, and yet we have uh, a government that is not seriously considering it. I think it's a shame. I think that we would ha- we would benefit greatly from seeing the kind of bills that the N.D.S. would put forward, or the Liberals would put forward, or Wild Rose would put forward. Would put I think you would would get a a really good understanding of what the true priorities are of each of the political parties. And again, it would lead to to more engagement and more robust debate. So that's the kind of thing we would do if we got elected in 2016. We're still going to press Ms. Redford to implement this proposal while she's premier, but I I think this is something that uh, we should be following from other jurisdictions. You also know that we're a party that believes in referendum. Uh, we put forward some... Some, some rules around that because we don't know the jurisdiction's referenda has been able to be pressed forward with only one or two percent of the of the eligible voters. We said that if you could get 20% of eligible voters, I think this what it was. 25% of eligible voters signing a petition saying, I think this issue is so important that we need to take it to the people. I think that provides a nice balance. I don't think Albertans want to be consulted on every little thing, but I think they want to be consulted on the big things. Like, should we be going back into debt after we all made so many sacrifices in the 1990s? That's probably something that Albertans would want to have a say on. Uh, If we go and return to having health care premiums, if we uh, have a a provincial sales tax, these are the kind of things that I think you might find Albertans would want to be consulted on. So we want to create a mechanism that if people feel so strongly about an issue, they can get enough of their fellow citizens to sign a petition to force a vote that's binding on government. They just did it in British Columbia. On the HST, the government thought, well, we'll get rid of the PST and we'll amalgamate it, the HST. And the public didn't want it. They forced a referendum. They reversed the decision. So that's the kind of thing, empowering the people that you would see under a wild rose government. And the last area is recall. I've saved this to the last area because when Paul was in my caucus, he and I used to argue about what Bill 1 would be. I said Bill 1 should be a property rights protection act. He said that Bill 1 should be an accountability act that includes recall as a, an essential component of it. And the reason why Paul feels so strongly about this, I think, is the reason why so many people are going on my Facebook page asking me about recall legislation now, is what are you supposed to do when a politician campaigns on one agenda, saying, we can spend more money, and we don't have to raise taxes, and we won't increase debt, and by the way, we're going to have enough money left over to put into savings. And then you find out, nine months later, that it was a con job, that none of it was true. What are you supposed to do? Well, the poll solution is you allow for, and you have to get my number's right on this, was it 30%? 30% of electors in that riding to have a petition to get their fellow citizens to force a by-election in that riding, so that you don't have to wait until 2016. If you have politicians that are not living up to what you thought they were going to be, this I think is, uh, again, not a new policy, not outside of the parliamentary tradition. British Columbia has recall legislation. Often what you'll find is that when a politician has done something so wrong that it prompts a recall campaign, they end, and the petitions start rolling in, they end up doing the right thing and resigning from office rather than face the by election. And then you're able to get that kind of transformation midterm. We think that these this package of reforms is the kind of thing that's more reflective of what Albertans want to see. After 42 years of having the same government in power, I don't think that you're going to see this kind of transformation. But I do think that this is the kind of thing that will put politicians more in touch with the people, will make politicians far more responsive, and it will lead to a much greater dialogue and debate over a whole range of issues. So with that... I uh, hope I've given you something that you want over lunch and I'm looking forward to your questions when we get back. Thanks so much for having me here today.